All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'd like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hud Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying?, what is Chen selling? And to sign up for both those letters, you can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office here in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours in New York City. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also encourage you to send your questions and comments, criticisms and praises along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Vino Silver and Gold Mines and RN Resources. I can tell you that I personally own shares in both of those companies. They are in my retirement account, and uh, we're seeing a bit of a pullback here today, which I, I think provides an, a buying opportunity for those of you who may not own them. Uh, I like both those companies. Uh, obviously, I've recommended them in my newsletter, uh, and uh, for, so for the same reasons that I've recommended them, I have... Uh, put my own money into those two companies and, and a number of others as well. Well, my newsletter really tries to explain why. Uh, I don't really want to just tell you what you should buy, but i like you to understand why I think those are good recommendations. So I hope you'll take uh, advantage of, uh, of subscribing to my newsletter. You can do a trial subscription for a very low rate. Uh, we'll give you 13 weeks of my service. Uh, regular listeners to this show are no doubt well aware that I am a firm believer in the virtues of capitalism because the laws of supply and demand and the need for collective price discovery by free markets are essential to a healthy and prosperous economic system. Unfortunately, they don't teach capitalism to the school kids in America. They are taught only socialism and Keynesianism, which is uh, the anti-capitalist system. The United States, of course, was once a leading capitalist country in the world. I don't see it as a leader in capitalism anymore or understanding of free markets at all. The so-called progressives of the early 1900s, personified by, I would say, by Woodrow Wilson, and anti-capitalist bankers like the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers have used their power and influence to destroy the United States Constitution, in effect, to remove the free markets from our, uh, from our system to a great extent. 
Uh, and that has really done a tremendous amount of damage, in my, in my view, to our economy and has uh, explained a lot of the reasons we're having economic problems, lackluster growth, high unemployment, more people on food stamps than ever before. So they've gotten rid of the gold-based monetary system, which I think is at the heart of the difficulties that we are having now because it has allowed a redistribution of wealth by the people who create the money, essentially what is nothing less than a counterfeit system that is in the hands of the Federal Reserve and the owners of the Federal Reserve. And then uh, in 1913, when the Fed was created, we also had the income tax became a reality in America. And, and together, those two uh, institutions have uh, led to what I think is an, uh, an egregious uh, system that is really redistributing wealth from those that earn it uh, and uh, to those that create the money out of thin air. Well, now you know the Constitution of the United States placed the responsibility for money creation in the hands of the Congress, not a private banking system. There were two presidents that tried to change that, as William Engdahl has pointed out, and he will be with us uh, at the second half of today's show. William Engdahl will be with us once again. But in his, uh, in, in some of his works recently, and in fact in The Gods of Money, he points out that both Lincoln and Kennedy were no doubt uh, were no doubt assassinated because they dared to stray away from the concept of a private bank, uh, essentially under the control of the London and New York bankers. Well, as President Eisenhower was leaving the presidency uh, and as one who saw the damage that these rulings, ruling elites were doing to our country, he warned us of the military-industrial complex and how it would ruin America both spiritually and economically. And I think it was no accident that Eisenhower was the last president to require the United States gold hoard be audited because the bankers who gained control more and more, especially after 1971, uh, they did not want the American people to be thinking in terms of a gold-backed monetary system and, in fact, have done everything in their power uh, seemingly, if you read the work of, of the Gold Ant Antitrust Action Committee and a number of other people, to trash the, the gold price by not allowing the price of gold uh, to be discovered, the free and honest price of gold to be discovered. So they have, as we've talked on this show many times in the past, have used the ability to uh, hit the futures markets and the and the uh, paper markets to drive the price of gold down some three or four hundred uh, percent more paper gold is sold than is ever uh, purchased or, or delivered in physical form. Um, since then, all manner since the the Fed has has really taken over and and trashed the gold. Uh, pricing mechanism, uh, you know, and since, especially since 1971, all manner of manipulative games have been played. The bullion banks, as I say, have done everything in their power to disguise the true price of the of gold. So there's no absolutely, and, and of course, this has enabled money to be created out of thin air. The petrodollar that was put in place by Nixon and then Kissinger and Nixon in, in 1971, 1972, along with this disguise of the real price of gold, has enabled the dollar to appear to be a legitimate currency and, in fact, has been the leading currency of the world and has been used in no small part as a way of financing the American empire and the move by the American military complex to overthrow governments. Uh, elected or otherwise that did not go along with the petrodollar scheme. 
Well, we've used the military to enforce this. We've killed tens of thousands of innocent people in the Middle East and elsewhere. And so there is no doubt, absolutely no doubt in my mind, that Ron Paul was right when he said the reason they came over here on 9-11 is because we've been over there killing and maiming tens of thousands of innocent people around the world. And in the minds of the people around the world, especially Muslims who think of America as a Christian nation, but who have been the targets of US of this U.S. killing machine, the U.S. indeed is, in their minds, the great Satan. What else should we expect, given the way that we have treated those people simply for the sake of perpetuating the petrodollar system? What I'm trying to say is that our foreign policy is, if anything, the Antichrist, because it is based on a fraudulent monetary system that enables the evil people who are behind our military-industrial complex to treat fellow human beings not in any way consistent with Christian teachings, but rather to rape and pillage them for the sake of power and wealth consolidation. So, the question that I have to ask myself is this, what can I as a Christian do to make this world a little better place because our country has strayed completely opposite of that that our founding fathers gave us in 1776. There was no way that we were supposed to be doing what we're doing now geopolitically and around the world. But one thing I can do that I've come to the conclusion is to live my life in a way that is consistent with the Christian principles that I profess to believe in. To provide a little light in an otherwise dark world, I can share the gifts I have received from the spoils of endless wars in which my country participates. Uh, I can take those those gains, those uh, material comforts that I have, and share them a little bit with those that are less fortunate. In one place, Mrs. Taylor and I have uh, have given to um, is to some very poor Haitian children who live in orphanages in the Dominican Republic. And if you feel like you would like to do a small part to make this world a little better place, to provide some light into an otherwise dark world, you may want to listen to an interview I did with the Reverend Dr. Joshua Holman, um, which can be listened to on the podcast page at jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com. If you wish to help these poor children um, who have not certainly not benefited from living in the Anglo-American empire as you and I have, uh, you can do so by clicking on a banner near the top right-hand corner of jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, and follow the simple instructions uh, for a crowdfunding program uh, that uh, is being pursued, and also give as little as $1. Uh, as little as $1 can be contributed. So if you have a heart to give and to share the wealth uh, that you're privileged to have, uh, you may want to consider doing that. Well, let's move on to today's show. I've titled today's show, China and Russia are launching a giant gold bull market. Well, today you wouldn't know it. The gold price is down some 20 bucks or so. Uh, but my guests today, William Engdahl and Michael Oliver, uh, will be here. We'll talk to Michael in just a few minutes. Uh, we'll talk to Michael, uh, just a second here, uh, in just a few minutes to ask him where, what he sees uh, in the markets that we follow on a regular basis on this show. We, uh, we do want to find out um, you know, what his views are, especially in gold today when we've seen a big hit in the price of gold. But also, uh, as we see the equity markets uh, taking off really big in a big way today, I saw uh, the Dow was up about 200 points a little while ago. The S&Ps were up very strong as well. Uh, what about those markets? What about the Treasury markets, which are really the, probably the most important market? We'll ask him to talk about that. And then we're going to talk to uh, William Engdahl about uh, some of the most important things uh, that he sees. I really value William Engdahl's views and, and the work that he does, his books, The Gods of Money, 
uh, and and more recently, his most recent book, The Lost Hegemon, Whom the Gods Would Destroy, I think provides excellent footnoted uh, documentation for his thesis that, in fact, uh, the West is in the process of self-destruction. I believe that is very true. This pernicious, uh, let's say, parasitic monetary system that is robbing the productive sector of our economy and, and taking the wealth and power and giving it into the hands of the few, the a few wealthy concerns that are behind the private central bank, that, that uh, in effect, uh, it is like an organism that is dying a slow death because the productive sectors of our economy are being uh, are being robbed and 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 slowly put to death. So this is uh, not a good system. But in the meantime, the Chinese and the Russians are in the process of building their gold reserves like never before. China, uh, how much gold do they have? Well, China, the official gold reserves are not held anywhere nearly what a lot of people believe they are. Um, you know, so educated guesses are somewhere in the twenty to thirty thousand ton range overall. And the Chinese are out there encouraging their citizens to buy gold. You can go to any any bank in China and buy gold. And the government's even uh, putting out ads encouraging people to buy gold. So this is exactly the opposite. Well, why are they doing that? Um, why, why is China and Russia and some of the other countries really building up their gold reserves while the United States policymakers are trying to keep people from buying gold and the bankers are in there trashing the price of gold to discourage people from jumping on and buying gold uh, at, the, at a time when our economy is in, is in a heap of trouble? Well, these are some of the issues that we want to talk to William Engdahl about, and uh, William will be with us at about half past the hour. In the meantime, though, uh, we're going to be talking to Michael Oliver right after our commercial break, and we're going to take that break right now. Uh, So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino is partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. Foreign Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Foreign is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Michael Oliver. He's uh, my favorite technical analyst. He's with me almost every week. Whenever we can find some time to squeeze Michael in, I like to do that because he helps me keep sane, frankly. He helps me understand where the markets are. Uh, and whether I'm on the right side of the markets, now, having said that, I'm not a trader. So I'm not a day trader. I'm not even a weekly trader. I'm not even a monthly trader. I'm a long-term guy that tries to be on the right side of markets when they're in a secular bull market or out of those or short those when they're in a secular bear market. So, uh, Or maybe something shorter than the secular market. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I, I like to know whether or not the prospects are good for the side of the market that I'm on, and Michael helps me feel that. He is, in a way, my security blanket. Thanks for joining me again today, Michael. Great to be here, Jay. And I should tell my listeners, as I try to do every week, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to keep up with Michael's doing and uh, a little bit. I mean, of of course, he's not working for free. Who can these days? Uh, Michael's not an extremely wealthy guy who can sit around and just uh, do good for people. He has to take care of himself and his family and all that. But uh, in any event, Michael, I want to ask you, the equity markets, my goodness, they just don't seem to ever want to go down. I've been a bear for the longest time. And, you know, I'm looking at these screaming equity markets today. It seems like uh, up, you know, I saw the NASDAQ was up almost 2%. S&P's, Dow up big. What, what's your take? Well, my take is that um, I, I made a few notes uh, to be polite before we uh, talk about the equity markets being strong. S&P's up a percent and a half on the year, okay? We're five <laughs> months into the year. It's up a percent and a half. NASDAQ 100, blue chip index, is down 3% on the year. Uh, XL, uh, hold on, let's see, um, healthcare is down a couple percent. Retail is down four and a half percent on the year. What's up on the year, stock-wise? GDX, the gold miners, up 65% on the year. Wow. XLE, the energy sector ETF, up 10% on the year. XLB, basic materials, commodity-related ETF, up 10% on the year. So I would say, yeah, stock market's doing great. (laughs) <laughs> if it's commodity related, if not, it's uh, wasting your time. <laughs> and I think it, I, I, I still argue uh, we're at the top. This is the top. We're going down. We're going down seriously over the next year or so. And uh, they can attempt to hold it up here all they want. Most other competitive, developed market indices that are comparable to the S and P, let's say, like the Euro Stocks 50 index, which is the blue chips of Europe, it's down 22 and a half percent from last year's highs. Mm. So, you know, when you, you're talking blue chips and developed market, let's forget the emerging market. Yeah. The stock market is not in good shape. What's in good shape right now are commodity-related assets and stocks related to commodities. Uh, uh, gold is up enormously. We had a buy signal that we advertised in January this year. It was elected in the f- first week of February when gold traded up to 1140 to 1160. We blew out every single long-term oscillator we had on gold that just said rampant buy, 100% long here. Well, now the market has shot up ultimately to 1300. It has had, I think this is our fourth sell-off 
each of which scares late-coming longs. There's either 50 to $70 quality, and I've gotten bored with it. <laughs> so uh, it's a congestive process, I argue, on gold. Also, mm-hmm. it's true with T-bonds, which are also inverse to the S&P for the time being. And I think that once this process is over, then the, the next leg up will occur. Uh, so it's, since the February surge, it's been uh, March, April, May, uh, you know, three months plus of congestive activity in gold that goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it slightly rises. But, uh, so I think people have to stand back and look at that. And I, I even sent you a couple charts before we came on today yeah. of a monthly price chart of the GDX mm-hmm. and a monthly price chart of the GLD, which is the bullion ETF. And even on a price chart, looking at monthlies going back years, all of this activity, this churning we're getting for the last month or two, is well out above massive breakout levels that are readily apparent. So it, I regard it as a tempest in a teapot, the attempt to break gold down. All right. Well, well, Michael, let me ask you about this. Uh, one uh, technical analyst that I heard talk recently uh, he put on uh, just as a price chart, not a momentum chart. I don't mm-hmm. know if he uses momentum, but he had a price chart that showed the path of the gold bull market. I guess um, the last two major ones. Uh, I'm talking uh, since 2000. Uh, you know, since 2000, the last couple. Mm-hmm. And he and he and he suggested that at this point in time, we should be ready for a 20 to 22 percent pullback from the top. And the, the top, I, I believe, we've gotten up to around 1300, right? On the 1306 high trade this month, yes. Right. So if you if you, if you apply that, we're looking at a couple of hundred dollars, maybe down around 1100 or so. Do you see the prospects? Is that, no, is I, that? Don't, I don't. I, I think if they were going to do that it would have already happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the clock has been burning in the favor of the bears, of the sellers, for the last three to four months. In other words, gold got overdone in February, like the S&P got overdone on the downside. Mm-hmm. The S&P correction took it all the way back up where it started. Gold correction didn't. It, it just yeah. spun its wheels. And, and, and I also believe in the clock, so to speak, that certain uh, time frames of measurement uh, apply. When I'm looking at monthlies or weeklies, and I see an effort by, by a given market to pull back, it doesn't have an infinite amount of time to prove its case. And I would say right now, looking at the weeklies and the monthlies, I'd say the downside in gold that we've seen recently, which is really more sideways, is getting old. Mm-hmm. And they really haven't made any, gained any ground, the bears, that is. Uh, yep. And it can be taken away in two days. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at something around 1230, I think, today, as what I saw yeah. earlier mm-hmm. for gold. Um, you don't think there's an awful lot of downside from here, then? Oh, if, if, yeah, I, if I had the pin where I think the best support is, it's around 1180. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even sure we're going there, and I've expressed that view in my market reports, is that, uh, yes, that's the best long-term momentum support, but I don't think the market has the power to get down there. Ah, uh, I think that, that there's another side to this market. You've got to realize it's not the longs who are vulnerable. It's the many would-be longs, gold bulls who are so beaten up psychologically mm-hmm. uh, and, and did a disservice to themselves between 2013 and 2015 that they didn't get long this move. Consequently, mm-hmm. they're out of the market wondering what the heck to do. <laughs> so who's in the worst position, the guy who's long at 1140 or 1160, as we suggested, or the guy who's not even long at all because he didn't believe in the upside and now suddenly is in a quandary. He wants to buy gold, but he's scared. Yeah. Uh, who's, in the, who's in the worst position? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Well, I, I guess, you know, if, you, um, if we were to pull back to that 1180 or 11, uh, say 1200 level, it would be probably a good buying opportunity for people. I well, think so, yeah. I just don't have any real hope that you're going to. I sent out a... 
short-term report on gold today, showing dailies even. And I said, you know, if this thing turns ten, fifteen dollars, it's over from here. Yeah. Well, I just really appreciate your, your momentum charts. So Michael usually shows a momentum chart along with a price chart and shows the targets based on momentum uh, on the price chart. And it's, I think, very, very helpful to me for sure. I have to ask you about the dollar uh, because, you know, of the inverse relationship, um, the correlation, the negative correlation of the dollar uh, to, uh, to gold. Uh, what's the dollar and the euro? Because the euro is such a big part of the dollar index, as you point now, out. I'm most focused on the euro. You're right in that regard. It's 67 percent, I think, or 50, 60 uh, percent of the uh, yeah. dollar index. So it's it's the papa. Okay. So as the euro backed off from, uh, if you look at a weekly price chart of the euro futures, you'll see over the last year almost that every time you get a weekly close up around 114 and a half, they sell it. It's like a crew mm-hmm. cut. Unbelievable chart. It's, it's like somebody drew with a crayon. Yeah. Uh, and recently we're up there. You'll poke out above it intra week, but you, you don't seem to close a price action out above there. Momentum, however, of the euro is far more positive looking than is the price chart, which looks like it's capped off. Uh-huh. Recently the euro backed off to 111.5 today. I'm arguing if you ever go back to 114.50 ever again, they're going to blow it right through the roof and you'll go oh. up above 120. And so I'm watching the euro very carefully, and I look at it, and I see a sell-off that also looks aged. I don't think it's got a lot more in it, mm-hmm. and all it has to do is turn uh, two and a half, three cents, and I think it's out of here. Yeah. Uh, well, that would, uh, I would, uh, that would correlate, I would, I would imagine, to a declining dollar then, and also right. could also correlate with, a, with, a, with the next run-up in gold, I would imagine. I, I think so. Yeah. Just one more thing before I let you go. I, you're looking at Italian bonds. I know you explained to us last week Italian and Spanish bonds look like they could be, you know, nearing a period with, with a price suppression, of course, uh, or, or let's say the price manipulation that allows those bonds to, you know, provide yields that are just just ridiculously low. Uh, market manipulation, as you as a believer in in markets and and f- the laws of physics, you know. Uh, sooner or later, that markets can't be held down or, or, or tried to held, be held up beyond what their physical requirements. Uh, but you're seeing the Italian bonds as, as potentially vulnerable. And then talk yes, to us I just do. very uh, briefly about the, the T bonds. Right they're, not, they're not that close to the breakout, but I'm looking at a yield chart, not a price chart of the bonds. So yeah. It's an upside down version. And the yields, as you said, are artificially suppressed uh, to levels that are ridiculous uh, given the nature of the debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, when I run momentum studies, long-term momentum studies of the yields, uh, it clearly is a bottoming pattern. It has not yet broken out. So it's the kind of thing that when I see a, a pot that's ready to boil, uh, I will watch it because it will boil. And it's a matter of when. Gold, for example, uh, last year we were watching it very closely, and finally in February this year it broke through. When it did, whoosh. Yes. Uh, I think the same thing will happen to Italian bonds and Spanish bonds. But they're not at the breakout point yet. It'll take uh, a minor amount of yield rise to cause them to break out. But it it's, doesn't look like something that's going to happen this week or next. Uh, but it's and, something in our watch report, and, we will cover that. And extremely extremely important, as you pointed out last week, a lot a lot bigger deal than the Greek bond market. And, uh, and then that would have to come first, I suppose, before the U.S. T-bonds start to break down. I agree. Yes, I, I think that that's your next vulnerable market. High yields show their vulnerability for the last year and a half. I think now it's these protected... Uh, un- duly priced uh, in jeopardy bond markets of Europe, particularly uh, Italy and Spain, that you have to focus on now. I think still that the U.S. Treasury market is safe. I think it will remain safe for a couple more months anyway, and probably will remain inverse to the S&P, and that may help keep it safe. Uh, 
But at some point later this year, I'm looking for the T-bonds to start down, yields to go up, and even it to start expressing higher yields to come. But I don't think that's an immediate problem. I think it's a potential that's out there later in the year. Well, Michael, do you think that, I mean, are you you just seeing a sort of a trading range for the T-bonds? Are you seeing the possibility of this mammoth, multi-decade long bull market coming to an end for the U.S. Treasuries? I think it could come to an end. Uh, there is a little box on a T-bond chart. In fact, you can see it on most of the uh, T-bonds or T-no charts, and T-bonds in particular. A little range you've been in for the last oh, four, five, six months. and It looks like that before you ever go down, and I do think you will, you're going to blow out top of that box first, which may entail a new price high for the T-bonds, therefore a new low in yield for the Treasuries. And I think if that occurs, the reason for it will be simple. It will be a flight to quality uh, out right. of... Uh, a, a, fear, uh, a market that's just, you know, like the S&P going down or something of that sort. Um, and then that may be the T-bond's last gas, but it looks to me like the first thing is the fake out, breakout upside, and then later in the year, the downside break, which is going to be more significant. Yeah. Well, what I appreciate about you, Michael, and I tell my listeners is that you have definitely have a sound understanding of free market economics. You are an advocate, a strong advocate of, of capitalism and free markets, and Though, what you do then is employ tools uh, in a sort of humble way because I think, you know, uh, if you really understand that the collective wisdom of markets is what's important, it's not what any one person thinks. It's what is the market telling you. Uh, And, you know, you read those tea leaves as well as anybody, at least from a medium to long-term perspective. I I just think you're very, very helpful. But it's also your understanding of the interrelationship of these markets. And you've been doing this for quite a few years. I mean, you have quite an impressive background with major uh, major financial institutions that you've been working with. So I I really thank you, Michael, for coming on uh, to to this show so frequently. You've been a big help to me and I'm sure to many, many of our listeners. And again, it's uh, OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, if you care to avail yourself to Michael's work and uh, and to his subscriptions. Uh, anything else you'd like to add today, Michael? No. no thank you, James, for that uh, compliment. Uh, <laughs> I, I try to earn it. <laughs> well, you and, do. Uh, we try you, to absolute, be, you absolutely to do earn it. early timers and accurate timers, and uh, timing is more important than later being right. So. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right about that. I mean, you, you can have the right concept and be right, but be years early and, and be a big years loser. Years early and, and, and dead before it happens. <laughs> well, that's, I'm usually early, you know. I'm, I'm one of those guys that's early, so that's where I find you, you're very helpful. So thanks so much, Michael, for being with us again. Thank you, Jay. And hopefully uh, we'll have time to have you back next week. Thanks so much. Well, folks, don't go away because F. William Engdahl will be with me right after the break to talk about how China and Russia are using gold to build a sound monetary system. Their economics certainly don't seem all that sound, especially China. But uh, they are at least building a monetary base that is sound, it seems, anyway. So we're going to talk to William Engdahl right after the break, so don't go away. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino is partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. 
Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, once again, F. William Hangdahl. Um, William is a, a, the author of several books. and Well, he's been a, become a fairly regular guest on this show. I, I really do appreciate his work. The, uh, he documents what he's, uh, what he's writing very, very well. Um, the, and uh, The Gods of Money was one book that I read that I found extremely helpful when it comes to understanding American history. Uh, and again, very well documented. It's not what you'll read in textbooks. The textbooks have their own uh, their own propaganda, I suppose. After all, our educational system is one that is uh, run by the state. It's not a free educational system. Free in the sense that you don't pay. Well, we do. We pay our taxes. Uh, but in terms of somebody having uh, the curiosity to, to explore for the truth, uh, well, that's kind of discouraged, but it's people like... Uh, William Engdahl that really helps us along those lines. But The Lost Hegemon, uh, Whom the Gods Would Destroy, his most recent book. And I find the articles that uh, that William writes to be very much in sync with uh, with that book. And uh, so we're very glad to have him with us again today. Thanks for joining me, William. Glad to be with you again, Jay. Always good to have you. And I should mention it's William Engdahl. E-N-G-D-A-H-L dot com. I hope I have that spelled right because my wife tells me I always spell your name wrong. <laughs> William Angdahl. No, that's right. Yeah, okay, WilliamAngdahl.com. Go there to avail yourself to some wonderful essays, articles on current events that are so, so important. Uh, so I urge my listeners to uh, partake of William's insights. Uh, okay, I, just, there, I, I had that I just started uh, a new feature on the website for people who go on there and they uh, are invited to get a free bi-weekly uh, newsletter. It's a short thing, but uh, it's, it's a supplement to the articles that I write. Oh, so, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, thanks for, uh, for sharing that. I'll, I'll have to definitely take advantage of that. Uh, I think it was on, on March 30, 31st, there was a special G20 meeting. Um, well, there was a, there's going to be a meeting. As I understand it, correct me, help me understand this, I believe there's going to be a G20 meeting or... Uh, and the and the people's uh, and and China is the host to this meeting. Is that right? China is the chair of the group of twenty. It's twenty different countries, uh, emerging countries like China, 
Brazil and so forth, and uh, the countries such as the U.S., Canada, uh, Italy, France, Germany, and the U.K., and, uh, and China is the current uh, president. Okay, and uh, but there's a series of these meetings throughout the year, is that right? And then uh, These are pre-meetings to, to shape the agenda for, for the actual meeting later this year. Right. So it's the G, G7 countries that are all in there, plus the 13 others, I guess. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, so you're, you're talking about China really wanting to promote the uh, special drawing rights, SDRs as they're called, and we've had, uh, you know, we've had guests on this show talking about that um, a lot. What can you tell us about the meeting that occurred, I think it was on March 31st, what do you make of the absence of, you said there's an absence of senior U.S. Treasury members there. What's, what's that all about? Well, let, yeah, let me uh, say what was remarkable about the meeting. It was held in Paris on the request of the Chinese. The chairman of the Bank of China, the central bank, the governor, uh, Zhao Zhuquan, was present, and he made the major presentation calling for broader use of IMF special drawing rights. Now, China was admitted last November as a member of this uh, basket of currencies, which is what it is, that, that was developed during the uh, late 60s, 70s to try to uh, get around the dollar crisis at that point, and has, has been kind of uh, there ever since. But it's a basket of currencies. It's not a alternative currency. You can't go to a bank and get so many SDRs. You get a basket which includes a percentage of U.S. dollars, a percentage of Japanese yen, a percentage of British pound, a percentage of German mark, and or now the euro. Uh, and now, the Japanese yen, if I didn't mention, and now the Chinese renminbi is a member of that five, uh, it's now five uh, different currencies. And the Central Bank of China, Governor Zhao, wants to have a subtle transition of the global monetary system that one currency, the U.S. dollar, does not dominate everything. So to call for more use of the SDRs means that uh, countries' payments can be in uh, the other currencies, such as the euro, such as the renminbi. Uh, and uh, that uh, would be perfectly in order. Well, Washington will fight that tooth and nail. That's the reason that I'm sure that uh, uh, the U.S. Treasury Secretary was not invited to that meeting. They had an observer to kind of keep an eye on what was being said. And what, what China wants is uh, a multi polar financial world as well as a multipolar political world and I uh, certainly think that's a sensible thing for any country at this point to, to want. It should be sensible for uh, the United States to want but the people who have hijacked the government are not at all interested in, in uh, sharing the pie with anybody. It's like the, you know, Don Corleone uh, <laughs> control of the of the uh, the quarter, and he's not going to yield to anybody. And the gang wars will be the consequence if you try. Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly uh, the dollar being the king, uh, the the major global um, international currency ever since 
the spoil. I guess you could say the spoils of World War II, and then uh-huh. uh, when Nixon decided after you know the, to to really uh, destroy Bretton Woods, the Bretton Woods arrangement, which was still a fair arrangement in that it was tied to gold, and 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 therefore the international dollar was not uh, was not a a political dollar per se, but it became that after Nixon took us off the gold standard and we went uh, to uh, to a paper dollar, to a, a petrodollar essentially. That, to what extent do you think the the arrangement with Saudi Arabia led to the wars? I mean, to what extent are all these wars that we're engaged in related to perpetuating the petrodollar? Okay, Jay, if I can, I'd like to back up a little bit. Sure. Well before August 1971, when Nixon tore up the. Uh, my printer is complaining here. When Nixon tore up the Bretton Woods Agreement and said uh, the exchange window of the New York Fed will no longer give other central banks gold when they redeem their dollars for gold, as the, the rules of the Bretton Woods Treaty, which the United States Senate uh, affirmed and the U.S. signed, uh, that was just thrown in the wastebasket, which is highly undiplomatic and highly probably illegal, but no one dared to challenge the U.S. back then. Mm-hmm. And, but well before that, the U.S. was abusing the rules of the Bretton Woods Treaty by running deficits and printing money and inflating and exporting that inflation to the European economies, to the other members of, of the, uh, the Bretton Woods Agreement, yes. and refused to devalue the dollar. Jacques Rueff, de Gaulle's financial advisor, called for a 100% devaluation of the dollar during the Vietnam War in the mid-60s to bring the world monetary system back into equilibrium. The dollar was never on a gold standard after 1944. It was a gold exchange standard, and this is a very subtle and crucial difference. Every other country member of the Bretton Woods Treaty could exchange their currency for the dollar, and the dollar was the only currency that was pegged to gold. So uh, what the U.S. did was say, we're not going to give you gold anymore, but we'll give you plenty of dollars. We'll even change what they're called. (laughs) And the amount of dollars in circulation in the world since 1970, the the best data I can get on, on that, uh, going to about the year 2000, increased by 2,500%. So you wonder why that new Ford that you go to the, the car dealer and buy costs you $40,000, $45,000 today, mm-hmm. when back in 1970 it would be worth about four or $5,000. Right. Well, that's, that's the great inflation. And as long as the U.S. has the power to get away with that, they can literally get away with murder, which is what they've done with all these wars and everything else that uh, uh, the people who have no choice but to hold dollars as a reserve currency are forced to do. Mm-hmm. But to the, what extent do you think uh, that the wars that we're engaged in have to do with regime changes and making sure that people in power will continue to honor the dollar system or, let's say, sell their oil for, for dollars, which is what Kissinger arranged with the OPEC, with sure. Saudi Arabia and the OPEC countries? Sure. Very much it has to do with the, uh, the recent move by Washington to create a kind of a uh, quasi-legal, but it was illegal, really, uh, Brazilian coup d'etat against Dilma Rousseff was to get rid of one of the key leading 
member countries of the BRICS, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. They had created a BRICS development bank that was a direct threat to the U.S.-controlled World Bank and IMF uh, structures to control development around the world. And so she was a weaker link far away from China and Russia who are building beautiful uh, infrastructure links and uh, many other things to come closer together economically. So they, uh, through completely illegal, unconstitutional means, created a coup d'etat against her. I don't think it will last, but uh, this is what they're, they're trying to do to save their system. Yeah. Do you think the, uh, the U.S. had some NGOs that were, were down there messing around, as, as oh, we know? Sure. All of the usual suspects. Uh, yeah. Soros Foundation people, yeah. uh, front groups, National Endowment for Democracy. And this time they did a little bit different tactic from what they did in Ukraine or uh, Georgia or some of these other Eastern European countries. They got judges that were, in a sense, uh, agents of influence of the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States of America. And those corrupt judges uh, made these rulings. And the people who voted for impeachment were themselves involved in the corruption of Petrobras. <laughs> she never has been documented or charged formally with a specific act of, of criminality in terms of Petrobras. So, you know, this whole thing is a sham. But uh, these guys voted for it to keep out of jail themselves. So the yeah, that's, that's, it's very interesting because, um, you know, we've had John Perkins on this show and he's talked about how it's beneficial for the CIA or these, uh, these you know, the CIA to use, to get people who have some, they have some dirt on so they can use mm-hmm. them as a leverage to make sure that they do what the CIA wants them to do. So, mm-hmm. so do, you, do you think just uh, uh, with respect to, we've seen a change of governments in Argentina, do you think uh, that the U.S. might have had something to do with that or some NGOs? No question. No question. no question, right? Macri is, is uh, to put it mildly, he's a fascist, but uh, 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 maybe that's his good side. <laughs> doesn't have much to recommend him other than the fact that he's controlled by Washington. Uh, that's the only thing positive for him in terms of the Obama administration. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, well, okay, so you have the BRICS, and they were... Um, you know, setting up the well, the, this this uh, international system, banking system, and so forth, uh, is that still going forward? Is that is in your oh, sure. understanding? Sure. And, and so, so yeah. you don't think this will be successful in destroying that? The efforts I don't, by the US. because the the uh, the toppling of Rousseff, which is not permanent unless they can find some charges to bring that will hold, in, you know, in, in the court system of Brazil. Uh, the Brazilian people are not exactly passive people, and that's clear in their in their uh, carnival dances and music and so forth, and that's clear in their political going to the streets. And uh, what happened during the Lula time and his successor, Rousseff, was lifting of something uh, on the order of 35 million Brazilians out of abject poverty in, into a survival income. And... That's a political base that is not about to see a bunch of, of free market, uh, you know, uh, oligarchs take back the country from from uh, from them. 
So yeah. it's uh, it's by no means settled in Brazil. I think it was a desperate bid by the U.S. Uh, to try to weaken weaken the BRICS, but it won't work. Well, I would I would argue, William, and I don't know if you and I agree on this, but the oligarchs by their by definition or by their nature, are anything but free market people. Generally, they tend to have connections in government that allow them to to gain the upper hand and to and yeah. to destroy the free market. So, but in any well, event, I, I don't uh, I don't believe there's a free market anywhere in the world. Yeah. But the idea that that market players can create markets, governments and and private interests can create markets. Uh, that's certainly true. That the, the so-called oligarchs, uh, they call them patriarchs, uh, like George Soros or Bill Gates or, or David Rockefeller, whatever names you want to give them, or Jacob Rothschild in, in the UK, uh, they are anti, uh, well, anti-free enterprise. Or, or, or Yes, indefinitely are. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, because they want to rig the rules of the game, they want to control the congressman, they want exactly. to buy the president, and that's what they've done successfully. And that's what they do. All right, yeah. so now we're going, uh, but in terms of, we, we've talked about the new Silk Road that you've talked about. How does the BRICS, how do the BRICS fit into the new Silk Road, if at all? I mean, because the BRICS, Brazil and South Africa, um, you know, of course there's uh, Russia and India are there, and China are there, part of this new Silk Road. The um, well, I, I would say, Jay, that the, the One Belt, One Road is a strategy for Eurasia. In fact, I've just completed a book called The Eurasian Century. And geographically, you have to, you have to work geographically. If that consolidates, and it, it is going ahead with, with dramatic uh, speed in the last year, year and a half, uh, high-speed rail links crisscrossing all of Eurasia, Going through Russia, the uh, Eurasian uh, Economic Union of Russia, Belarus, uh, Kazakhstan, and so forth. It's uh, going down to Iran. The presidency of China went down to Tehran uh, some months ago and formally brought Iran, after the sanctions were lifted when they could do so, uh, into the uh, One Belt, One Road, the New Silk Road infrastructure project. They're building ports to guard the freedom of transport of, of goods to and from Eurasia or Asia, uh, China especially. And the U.S. is not terribly happy about this, so Obama has created this Asia pivot, which is really a China pivot to encircle China mm-hmm. and challenge or threaten China's protection of her uh, freedom of the seas. So uh, imagine that the U.S. would uh, have such Chinese gunboats at, at their shores, uh, threatening uh, the passage of freight from around the world. That would yeah, I don't, think, I don't think that would go over so well with the United States. <laughs> but we're, uh, no. but but here's the, here I have a question for you. You know, yeah. um, first of all, what do you think? You know, China has been amassing enormous amounts of gold. We've had 
estimates, not from the Chinese government, I think tends to downplay the amount of gold they own. Perhaps, perhaps they're hoping to continue to buy more of it cheaply. Yeah. Uh, but we've said, you know, estimates from upwards to twenty to 30,000 tons, potentially. The Chinese people are encouraged to buy it. Uh, oh. there are, there's even advertisements for them to buy it. They, and you can mm-hmm. go into any bank and buy gold. Russia, yeah. as you pointed out, is building up their gold reserves. How is gold playing into this geopolitical power structure? You know, we've had uh, a guest on this show that pointed out, he said that those countries can't compete with the United States now militarily. But what they can do is... Uh, they, they, they can see that the United States dollar is very vulnerable and they can in, engage in currency wars. Jim Rickards is who I'm talking about. Sure. Yeah. Do you see that as a strategy? Do they see? Because here's a, the other question that I'd like to ask you is why, if, if China has so much gold now, and I don't know if we know how much they have, but. We don't. We don't know, but one one good question from a, from a friend of mine who asked me to ask you this why doesn't China just pull the plug now on the United States? Uh, you know, rather than continue to hold treasuries or buy treasuries, and you and those the funding of which is used then to you to expand the American military influence, overthrow governments, and put people in power that will uh, make life more difficult for the Chinese and the Russians. Why why don't the Chinese just pull the plug now? Uh, not being too facetious, I would say, uh, in war is in love, timing is everything, uh-huh. and. For the Chinese to do that now, they don't have the structures in place strategically, geopolitically, to withstand the shock of the collapse of $1.3 trillion or maybe quite quite much more of that, Mm -hmm. of of, the U.S. dollar treasuries and uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and other junk paper that they're holding. Mm -hmm. So what would it bring them to do that now? other than uh, you know, a full-blown military confrontation right. with the West. And the Chinese, my knowledge of the Chinese, and I've been there many times since uh, over the last eight or nine years, is that they are very reflective as a, as a, as a, as a nation, as a leadership and so forth, sometimes very naive, although I have to say the first time I went to China was right after the Tibetan uh, protest before the Olympics in, in uh, April of 2008, and the kind of government statements about the capitalist running dog Dalai Lama of Tibet and blah, 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 were just embarrassing. Uh-huh. And when, let's see, when was it? 2014, when we had the umbrella revolution in Hong Kong, the sophistication of the Chinese in understanding what is going on in the West and what is going on against them has gone light years in a very short time. They wrote an editorial in the China Daily, why does Washington always make color revolutions? Mm-hmm. And they named the National Endowment for Democracy. They named the vice president of the NED, which is a U.S. government financed uh, destabilization entity that, in the quotes of its founder, does today what the CIA used to do 25 years ago or 50 years ago, Guatemala, Iran, and so forth. Sure. So uh, they understand very well. I uh, have had six or seven of my books translated into Mandarin Chinese mm-hmm. since 2008, and several of them have been in the top 10 uh, you know, nonfiction bestseller list. 
not, I don't say that to promote myself, but I say that to say I have helped among many other voices to educate the Chinese about how the West really functions. Mm-hmm. And when I first came there, there was incredible naivety. People had gone, you know, over the last 25 years, had gone and studied at uh, Harvard or MIT or Berkeley or George Washington University, and they really thought they had the inside track to tell China what to do. Uh-huh. Now that is not accepted as a, as a quality plus for Chinese intellectuals. That's considered an embarrassment. Well, that's interesting because they were programmed here, of course, to uh, to continue on with the uh, the ruling elites. Yeah. Uh, program and I wonder, you know, uh, with just a couple of minutes left here, uh, William, sure. the Chinese uh, ruling elites, their children were being given cushy jobs by J.P. Morgan and the likes. Oh, yeah. uh, that must still be an attempt to try to influence the policymakers in China to play ball with the United States as uh, with the Anglo-American Empire as we would like them to, right? So we're continuing to try to infiltrate into those countries, into China and Russia, probably China more. Absolutely, right? and the. Uh, the Western churches are just all over China. The, the Catholic Church, the, the Vatican was up to its ears in, in the Umbrella Revolution in Hong Kong, aimed to embarrass Beijing. Uh, and, uh, you know, every which way they can try, they're trying to destabilize from within and militarily challenge from without that China is... is all right. Well, William, we're out of time. I have to ask you the one quick question. Do you, do you see this as bullish for gold, what's going on in terms of the, <laughs> the, the gold in terms I, I, of U.S. dollars? I love gold so much you can't imagine, Jay. All right. Not you've only, answered my question. Not only because of that, but because it's the most beautiful metal in the entire atomic... Uh, well, it's, it's, the most, it's the most beautiful metal, and it's also the most honest money. Uh, it is a non-political money. So to the extent that the Chinese are building a monetary base, the Chinese, the Russians, these countries are building, India loves gold, uh, I think that we have a chance for a much better world. If we get the money creation out of the hands of the ruling elite who are using yep. it to rob and pillage and wage wars. So, William, always good to have you with me. We are out of time right now. I want to thank you so much and encourage people to go to williamangdahl.com. Learn everything you can about what this man does because he is very, very valuable in helping us understand the world we really live in. Uh, Next week, we're going to have uh, with me uh, Rick Rule. Uh, Rick Rule will definitely have some good investment advice, so I hope you'll uh, be with me next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.